You're listening to the Passionate DJ Podcast, episode number four. Welcome to the Passionate DJ Podcast, where it's all about becoming a better DJ through passion and purpose. And now, your host, David Michael. Alright, what's up passionate DJs, promoters, producers, whatever you're here for, it's good to be back. I'm glad that you've tuned in for episode 4, which is actually the second part of a two-part series. And in episode 3, we introduced you to Jessica Finner, who just has so much awesome advice for us and uh, is teaching us all about promoting in a small town. I just There's so much more that we have to discuss, so without delaying too much and giving a big intro... Make sure you go listen to episode three first, and then come back here, and here is more small-time promoter tips with Jessica Finner. So, small-time promoter tip number 16. Unless throwing a fundraiser, don't ask people to support your event, music, or scene. Parties are not charities. They are fun, exciting musical events, and promotions should make people want to attend for this reason. Uh, yes, absolutely. If you need people to quote unquote support your event, uh, perhaps you're doing it wrong. I mean, how many? How are you providing value to your audience? I mean, if you're providing them value, then uh, you shouldn't need to beg for support. They should be there because they want to. Exactly. Yeah, that that is a an absolutely fantastic one. I, it also sets up, I think, when people hear people saying, especially during some of the harder years, support our scene, support our scene, support our scene. It just sets up this feeling, even if people aren't thinking it, there's this feeling of this is something that's failing, this is something that needs help, this is, you know, something that's that needs me, rather than which is the opposite of exciting, which is the opposite of like, oh, this is something I, I want to be involved in because it's going to make me feel a different experience than my work and my job and I'll be uplifted. And I think it just goes against everything that, that we want to convey to people. Yeah, you've already set the bar really low when you start presenting it that way instead yeah. of, you know, it's we need your help instead of look at we have what we have to offer you. Precisely. Okay, um, tip number 17. Failure is the mother of success. Each low turnout, venue challenge, or financial hit is a doorway to becoming more skilled. Give most attention to what you can do differently. Seek advice and keep moving. And where many give up, you'll grow stronger. Okay, failure is the mother of success. But I think it's important to keep in mind here that sometimes uh, failure is inevitable, but it's not failure that fuels us. It's success. And learning from your success is what gives you real ammunition. It teaches you what works and how to do it again. And, in fact, next time you'll probably even do it even better. So if if you've succeeded once, you're way more likely to succeed again. But, unfortunately, it seems that most people give up after a good failure or two. Yeah. Um, but I think that that can work to your advantage. I mean, if you... If you are able to just power through those failures, take note of them, and focus on how to start building a list of successes to kind of fuel you through. It's like you said, I mean, passion will only get you so far, and sometimes you need to get down to business. And part of that is the whole, you know, idea of fail early and fail often. Yes, and and on top of that, rather than focus on, oh, I lost $1,000, this sucks, 
maybe, oh, I lost a thousand dollars. Why? Okay, now I know what not to do next time. And and in that, you've gained something. Yeah, you just paid a thousand dollars for an interactive learning experience. <laughs> yeah, an expensive one, but turns your advantage for sure. <laughs> okay, um, how about number eighteen? A promoter's job is to spread music, not negativity. Keep complaining about other promoters, venues, or party goers off public record. Tearing others down is the lowest way to build yourself up. Definitely, and it doesn't last. I've, I've seen this firsthand, unfortunately. I mean, if you tearing other people down and stepping on them to climb higher is just not sustainable. You just kind of end up becoming that jerk that nobody wants to work with or support. And you know, I've seen entire cliques, or if you will, or market segments disintegrate because of this. Yes, exactly. Um, and I think that's a, that for me is a big part is the market segment. Um, I have a lot invested in wanting there to be an electronic dance music industry in Milwaukee. There's never going to be a great one, but where people can play and get paid and go to throw events and break even and make a little profit so that we have these things happening here. When all of that breaks down, they won't they won't happen anymore. And when you look at other businesses or or this business, people who are successful, if you look at a promotions company that you admire or a booking agency that you admire or a record label, if you take a name like a Dirty Bird or a AM Only or a big name DJ, they're not out there going bitching about other promoters or bitching about other booking agencies or putting business out there which then just presents this whole negative image and ends up holding everybody down. I think if you conduct yourself properly, of course we need to vent and confide sometimes in someone close to us and trustworthy, but but when you do things publicly, you just tear down the whole health of, as you said, your market segment. Yeah, it's nice to be nice. I mean, people want to work with nice people. I mean, if you really just think about it that simply, yeah. you know, it makes sense. So... <laughs> Number Small-time promoter tip number 19. This is a funny one. The headliner is incoherent, the subs are on fire, and the bar is out of everything except Campari. Fire extinguisher in one hand, double tall Campari in the other. Make light of the blazing beats. Welcome your favorite local DJ to the booth while calling backup sound and putting out the blaze. And smile. The audience will follow your reactions in a crisis. Keep cool under pressure, and everyone else will too. Yeah, don't panic. <laughs> the show must go on. Um, yeah, that vibe that, that comes from the promoter and not only the promoter, but the DJs, the managers, bar staff, and, and so on. Um, I mean, that vibe can definitely be felt by the crowd, don't you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you want people to have a good time, which we do, we need to project that. My mentor affected this this tip quite a lot because when he was running Mantra Lounge here I noticed that he always took the time to smile and when people were grabbing him and wanting to talk his ear off and they're drunk and they just want his attention and he's in the middle of trying to figure something out he would always stay cool even when he had to go he'd say hey it's great to see you I'm really sorry I have to I just have to go take care of this and then later on, after the show or the next day, I would find out that he'd been dealing with some sort of big screw-up, um, but no one would have ever known that that's what was going on. And he was always polite and cool and collected, even when he obviously was, was busy and had things to take care of. Yeah, and even when you know people 
if whatever issue, if it's some major issue and everybody is is fully aware, I mean, you know, the DJ shows up and you hear a pop and the music stops suddenly or something like that. I mean, the, oh, yeah. way, the way that a promoter handles that situation is going to say a lot to the people watching. I mean, not only as, I mean, just whether you like them or not, but with them as a promoter, if they, you know, you could take the same situation and if they run around in a panic screaming trying to fix everything, then you're going to, for better or for worse, think of them as that promoter who didn't have their stuff together. Whereas if they handle the crisis calmly, cool, and just get stuff done that needs to be done, you're going to think of them as, wow, they really know what they're doing. And it's you can, you can have that same situation and have a completely opposite perception of them. Exactly right. And then that directly affects if the party vibe continues or doesn't. You know, if you've got the promoter and the DJs all up in the booth freaking out, everyone else kind of freaks out a little bit too. They kind of go, okay, what should we do? Is the party over? How long do we wait? <laughs> Is it what's happened? What's going on? And But we've all been at those shows where the promoter grabs the mic and starts beatboxing and like <laughs> everyone into the drama of the moment in a positive way and keeps that kind of excitement somehow still going, that party vibe. And then when the music comes back on or whatever, it may be everyone cheers and it kind of just keeps moving. Um, yeah, if you if you know how to, I mean, the good promoter or DJ knows how to take that and, and turn that into a positive. I mean, that might be the moment of the night that you remember the best is when exactly. they, you know, the sound cut out and then the DJ or the promoter did something awesome and then the sound came back in and then the whole crowd was just jumping and crazy into it and exactly. you know that could be the highlight it's, yeah. it's all about how you handle it again it's that experience what sort of experience are we going to give people even in a crisis do you have any of your own promotional crisis situations that, that you could share with us like any time that where you've had to run around and put out a bunch of fires and keep your cool I haven't had to literally put out fires that I can remember, um, but definitely sound going out, um, computers messing up, that kind of thing. Um, multiple times I've had to deal with those those types of things. Or police showing up. Police showing up is pretty um, common one that I've dealt with, and we ha we actually have some friendly police who love to stop by our events. But I always go a little bit over the top to make it clear that these guys are our friends, put my arm around them, because the audience, as soon as they see police, they're like, what's going on? Yeah. Play up that, like, hey, this is fun. Oh, my God, the police are here. These guys are cool. Take pictures with them. And um, everyone's like, oh, wow, that's cool. You know, they're <laughs> actually here enjoying the music and checking out the party. They're not there to give, give us any trouble at all. So that what you present to people, yeah. Okay, great. Um, small time promoter tip number 20. Working with other promoters is a highly effective way to build community or tear it down. Choose carefully and be very clear on roles, expectations, and aim. Yes, yes. Collaboration is almost always preferable to competition when it comes to small-town music scenes, I think. Um, yes. It's like we talked about earlier. You can only draw so many lines in the sand before you segment your own market to death. Right. I think also part of this comes from if you have... If you have a degree of success, also, people are going to want to work with you, generally. People yeah. will want to do nights with you, or they'll want you to book their DJ friends. Um, and you have to tread carefully, because there isn't always a benefit in working with everybody. 
there should be a mutual benefit where it's going to be good for you and good for them and then it becomes good for everybody involved and and choosing carefully who and how you affiliate yourself and how you conduct yourself if you're not going to work with someone how you let them know and and handle that without being sort of presenting a negative image about it right right okay um, number 21 People will love you, hate you, say what you want to hear, and genuinely appreciate you. Don't take any of it too seriously. Stay centered in your own reasons for promoting music. I like that. Stay centered. What are what are your reasons for promoting music? What keeps you centered? Very personal, really. My my reasons for being a promoter go back to my first rave experiences when I was sixteen, seventeen. Um, so we're talking 1990 in England when, when rave culture was exploding. And I was at a really critical point in my life. I was going through a lot of um, disruption and life-changing events within my family. And it was a confusing time. I think those teenage years are confusing for a lot of people anyway. So I was really going through a lot. And I, I went to my first couple of raves. And this was a totally new experience for me to be around a bunch of people where there were no expectations, nobody cared what I was doing, what I was wearing, how I was dancing, what I was achieving, where I came from, where I was going, anything. To be in this sort of communal place where there's no judgments and no expectations and no qualifiers except one, and the fact that it was a shared qualifier really had an impact on me, and that was everyone was just expressing themselves as they chose um, in music, and then sharing that with others around them. That had a really big impact on me, and it was really important for me to have that at that time in my life. And I was also sober during those that early time period. I wasn't drinking, I wasn't partying. And so I had a very pure experience of just being in a place where I could explore the person that I was and develop into the person I wanted to be. So it's really quite personal. Um, and my reason for continuing to promote now, I come back to that to center myself. It's twofold. One, I want to be able to make that available to others. If there's just one or two people out there who can have that same positive experience or something similar, um, then that's wonderful. But, of course, there's the selfish aspect, which is that I want to continue having that for myself. I think once or twice I heard some old schoolers refer to that as kind of the, the total autonomous zone. The right. um, You're just kind of completely um, separated from the rest of the world for that few moments or few hours and, and just completely invested in the music and the atmosphere and the people around you and moving your body and all caught up in the moment and some people you know like when they go out and, and dance and party it's it, that's what it is it's party time and for other people it's it's more um therapy i guess yeah yeah so and also it, it, i mean things change in cycles and scenes but at that time there was a very strong community sense also um around that whole culture with that one joining factor that one common purpose being just just the music but there was certainly a sense of community and, and sharing a common good absolutely i think that's that's an aspect that i think that's why people cling to the underground side of things i mean that's that's the feeling you get that that underground feeling whereas instead of you know i'm here to listen to such and such top 10 dj because all my friends think i should or <laughs> 
you know, whatever. Right. Although I will say a lot of that music was charting in England at that time. And don't get me wrong. I mean, that I'm of the school of thought that uh, good music is good music, whether it's popular or underground or whatever. Yeah, I could go on for ages about how popular and underground work together and, and are key to each other. So that's another discussion. Yeah, we could probably build a whole podcast around that. So, okay, uh, small-time promoter tip number 22. People don't just want to hear a DJ play music. They want to have an exciting experience. If you are not excited about your events, why would anyone else be? Absolutely. And, you know, people can tell the difference between you being excited and you faking it. I mean, it's it's sort of that buzz versus hype thing again. So I think that one's pretty self-explanatory. Want to move on to number 23? This one was uh, geared towards the DJs. To be booked regularly, you'll need to draw an audience regularly. Unfortunately, in small-time cities, playing well is rarely enough. Building relationships with music goers gives them a reason to make an effort to hear you amongst the plethora of other competent local DJs. Go out, build bridges. Yeah, definitely. We covered this uh, a lot of this stuff in an, a very early post um, when I started the blog back in February. It was called uh, How to Network Like a Gentleman or a Lady, and uh, I'll link to that in the show notes. But, yeah, it's important uh, to not just network, but to you know make yourself a resource. Networking is kind of useless if it's not a give-take relationship. You know, you don't want to, you know, just take, take, take and not give anything back to your community or to your network. Absolutely. It's also, from being a promoter and an active DJ, I kind of see both sides. I, a lot of us are DJs and promoters, but I find myself oftentimes in situations of wanting to book people who I know are great DJs because I, I came up with them 15 years ago and they were doing it before me. But as people age... They don't go out as much anymore. They don't um, plug in with the younger crowd anymore or the people who are going out. And that's fine. But in a small market, it's not a big market. It's not. We're not throwing nights where there's automatically going to be a built-in audience of 100 and I can just book you to come and play in front of my audience. Right. In a small market, we rely on our DJs to bring some people as well, whether we like it or not. That's how it is. That's the reality of the situation. So I find myself often wishing that I could book some some DJs that I can't book as often as I would like to because they are not known because people will they do not bring their own their own um, relationships with them. So unfortunately, it does mean as a promoter that I have to make that choice, and I wish I didn't have to. And and if some of those those people and DJs just had those relationships a little more, then I would be able to book them more often. So, Yeah, I think that's why, the, I mean, it's all these, these are small-time promoter tips, but they're all valuable information, bits of information for DJs because as a DJ, if, I mean, if you're trying to play to an audience, whether you like it or not, you're a small-time promoter in some way. Very true. Okay, so moving on to number 24. Now, this one's for the ladies. We touched on this a little bit, but what's number 24? Ladies, take every previous tip and multiply it by 100. You will face 100 times more gossip, criticism, and negativity, as well as 100 times more compliments and ego stroking. It is 100 times more important to stay centered and focused. 
you can be a hundred times as successful. Yeah, yeah. We, you know, we like to think that, in, you know, it's 2013 as we're recording this, and we like to think that gender equality is a thing these days. But the unfortunate truth is that we're, we're still not really there. You know, in the workforce, women still make, on average, like 77% of what a man makes. And, and think this, those things carry over into the music scene. I mean, uh, women may have to work a bit harder, and I think that because of that, some of them really kind of take that the wrong way. And by that, I mean, well, just to put it bluntly, I mean, how many times have we seen a story about the female DJ with D-cups that plays topless as her gimmick or whatever, you know? And Certainly. I, I like how you say you can be 100 times as successful because women who put, it, put the work in and do everything right also realize that they're gaining respect because they're jumping hurdles that are maybe unfairly set a little bit higher. Absolutely. Yep. Um, have you found personally that being a woman in the scene has worked for or against you, or do you just kind of throw that out and not even consider it? No, I've written articles about that. Um, really? Yeah. If you if you could send those to me, I'll put them in the show notes. Okay, I will. I'll send you some. Um, it definitely does both. It's it's a huge challenge, and it and it can give you an edge as a woman. I've often wondered why are there not more women in the music scene? I can understand why men dominate construction. I can understand why men dominate certain other fields, but, but music is an emotional field, generally speaking, and women are the more emotional of the two sexes. So this was a conundrum for me for a while. Why are there not more women involved in DJing and promoting? And we're definitely seeing more these days. But I think a lot of it is we just don't, I've, I've heard other women say they just don't want to deal with it. They don't want to deal with the added stuff that we have to deal with as a woman in a male-dominated field. Mm. And it is very hard work. But if you can, again, just, just keep yourself centered and not buy into any of it too much, then I, I think for any woman in any male-dominated field, we see it in executives and we, we see it in um, the arts that's key. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's kind of, you know, if you have that same kind of approach as, as we mentioned earlier about the the promoter who's running around putting out fires, I mean, you automatically have a different set of, of hurdles as a woman than a man might in the same industry. But when you realize that, acknowledge it, and then still crush it, you know, the success is all that much greater. And I, I mean, I think it would, it, it's helpful to think of things like that as challenges but as um maybe opportunities yeah yeah absolutely a bit of both yeah i mean it's important to be honest about it i mean about what those hurdles are but i think if you again if this is geared towards being prepared and if you can have um some sort of insight into what you're going to face as far as challenges and opportunities then it makes it easier to to deal with and and to move through for sure. Again, this is also entertainment industry that we're working in, if mm -hmm. you look at it bluntly. And in entertainment, people like to talk and they like to gossip. And in the music scene, we know that happens, and especially on the amateur level. So as a woman, you're going to stand out, regardless of all the other stuff, regardless of sexism and um, the challenges that we still have in 2013. As a woman, you're going to get more focus just because you're you're female and it's more of a rarity. So to just be prepared for the things that come with it. 
Sure, sure. I would love to read your articles on that and share them with the audience if you can dig those up for us. Do. On to number 25. Don't be intimidated into overpaying for a DJ. Just as an artist has the right to put a price on his time, you have the right to price their worth in your market. The two figures can be quite different. Negotiate with tact, but stand by what you know will work. If a deal works for the venue, the audience, and the small-time promoter, chances are you will do it again. If it doesn't, you won't. Some bookings just aren't a fit, and it's okay to say no. Yeah, yeah, it's okay to say no. I mean, that doesn't really count as a failure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's that's part of this whole curation process. As a DJ, you might have an absolute killer track that that just doesn't work in a particular set. Um, sometimes a certain DJ just doesn't quite work for what you're trying to do with a particular event or venue or city or whatever it is. And it's important to be honest about that. Yes, and again, diplomacy is your friend. You know, it doesn't mean to shut down DJs or booking agents. But especially, again, if you become have some success, DJs will hit you up. They'll want to play for you. Or when you hit them up, they'll want to play for you. They're going to try, just like anyone, to get what they think their time is worth and, and a good a good pay amount, and sometimes you just can't do it. So being small-time to small market, oftentimes there is this intimidation factor, this power differential where you're working with people you look up to. You're generally going to be interested in, in artists that you respect and who have been doing things that you respect, and it can be hard to say... I just can't pay you the $600 that you want. What I can do is 200 Right. It's really hard to say that, but if you're just being honest, say it, you know, and they have the choice to turn you down or accept or come back with a, you know, if you can do 200 and gas and hotel and, and just open up that conversation from honest points of view. I think it's, uh, you know, one of those things where you just have to, it's all about honesty with the person you're working with and with yourself. Having that, okay, here's what I can do. You're better off telling them what you can do rather than saying, uh, okay, let me see how I can make 600 work and then, you know, losing a whole bunch of money on it or not being able to pay your DJ, which is a way worse situation. <laughs> and another common thing that is bad for everyone that comes out of that is putting too high of a cover on your event for your market. If you say, you know, yeah, okay, I'm going to pay you a grand, and then you're charging a $15 cover in a market where people aren't used to paying $15 covers or won't pay $15 covers, you're not going to get the audience that that you would have, you know, for 10 or, or whatever it may be, so... Yeah, it definitely goes beyond simple math. You can't just jack up the cover to make up for it and not take anything else into consideration. Okay, um, and then on to small-time promoter tip number 26. Don't be shady. (laughs) Honest mistakes are a starting point for growth, but operating without integrity sets everyone back. Both have a ripple effect. Uh, Yeah, this is a great tip. I think it's important. Uh, very important for for you to own your bad news instead of trying to sweep it under the rug. So when something goes wrong, especially in this day and age, someone's going to tell the story. Uh, you know, somebody's going to call you on it if you don't do, your, do it yourself. They'll post it online on Facebook or whatever, and everyone will know there's there's no more secrets. And in my opinion, you're better off if that person is you. <laughs> 
that's this just owning up to your mistakes and saying okay here's what happened and here's how to make it how I want to make it better next time I just I think that people respect you more if you're publicly open honest and responsive I guess during or after a kind of crisis situation yes and that's absolutely right um, there's also it allows for your own growth to learn if you if you can't be honest with yourself about where you went wrong you can't you can't grow from it um, right and I certainly see around me the people who we've all experienced shady promoters um, especially back in in the 90s when I was <laughs> But those people, oftentimes, for the most part, didn't succeed. And right. that the people who did uh, operate with integrity are the ones who went on to grow um, and continue to develop. If you can continue to grow and develop, you continue to do shows, and then you continue to build an audience and have jobs for DJs and just grow the whole health of, of your industry or community. Um, I, I would like to share with you one experience I had very early on when I first started promoting. Okay which kind of exemplifies how an honest mistake can be really difficult but but helpful too. And it was one of my earliest shows, and I asked a friend to open um, and had offered him 40 bucks to open. And this was a close friend, someone who crashed out on the couch at my house, would come and spin records, one of our clique. And so at the end of the night after the show, I said, hey, can I just take you out for dinner instead of giving you money? And he said, sure, no big deal. And then there was some drama months down the road that snowballed and everyone was kind of jumping in on this, like, we, we have a thing against fortune. And he was one of them. And it wasn't until, like, a year later that, he, that I was able to get out of him that he had harbored this resentment about me not paying him for that gig and said, you know, this was, for him, this was his experience. It was one of his first gigs. He was a little bit... Um, intimidated, he didn't know how to say no, I want my money, and felt like I had put him in a difficult position by saying, hey, can I just take you out for dinner, um, and harbored this resentment that was then spun into drama of him not getting paid and me not fulfilling my word. So this was an honest mistake that I was really able to learn from by going to him and saying, finally, you know, like, look, what happened? I was really hurt. I thought we were friends, and you're jumping into all this drama. And I could really learn from that, and it was invaluable to me to always communicate about money really directly and really, like, follow through on what you say unless they really say to you, hey, no, we're totally cool. Don't worry about it. Always pay your DJs what, what you say you're going to pay them and always be completely open and communicate about money directly that's a huge lesson for me and and invaluable so. yeah yeah i can definitely relate to that one and and it doesn't even it doesn't stop at money i mean i i have a had a situation when i first started uh you know i was one of these djs that you know, i was kind of in the same situation where when i first started getting interested there was nothing going on in my town that had anything to do with my interests and so i found an inn at kind of a dive bar and started trying to do my own thing there and i had booked some local talent that was well known um the scene in my town had had been well established and then had kind of died off and then i got interested in it so i was contacting these people that these people that were previously active when things were going well and were getting them to 
play shows with me at this bar. I had no clue what I was doing, and I just said, hey, will you come play with us? You know, sure. And I would, you know, I would open Paint or Photoshop or whatever and just make a flyer and start printing them out or posting them on on MySpace at the time. (laughs) Yeah. And so I ran into a situation where a DJ who was well-known... Uh, DJ and promoter in my city uh, was a, a little he was just being a little short with me and and I wasn't really understanding why and what I didn't and he wasn't rude or anything but he was just kind of you know I was showing him flyers and stuff and he just didn't seem to be excited and well I come to realize that you know what I was doing is I was like making flyers and I was listing the DJs in the order they were going to play, not taking into account experience or who headliners were or anything. So I was, I was always opening the night. So I was always putting myself on top. (laughs) So people were getting the impression that I just thought I was amazing and was putting myself on the top of my own flyers. And I went, Oh man, I, you know, I never even considered that, you know, I was just putting them in, in the order. I had no idea what I was doing. So because he came to me and said, Hey, you know, here's why I'm a little weird about this. And I'm like, oh yeah, that makes absolute sense. And then we work, you know, work that out. I'm like, no, it's not that at all. I'm not trying to lift myself up here. And so we were able to work that out. And over the years, we've become really good friends and work together on a lot of things. And I think way too many people just say, well, that guy's a jerk, and then they don't work with him anymore. They don't uh, realize it's a misunderstanding one way or the other. That's part of where the both have a ripple effect comes into it because. A lot of people's assumptions that you're just being a jerk or I was just trying to rip off my friend come from shady promoters beforehand really doing things like that. You know, it has this lasting impression, a ripple effect. But then when you have those experiences where you clear it up with someone and say, hey, thanks for talking to me. I really didn't realize what I had done. It then sets the tone for that to be repeated, for people to communicate with each other and figure out mistakes and say, okay, we can actually build something positive out of this. And and you learn something and I learn something and talk to the next person directly and figure stuff out. So. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. um, Let's see. Tip number 27. Competition is inevitable. Whether it's healthy or destructive is up to you. If there's nothing positive to learn, make competitors' business practices irrelevant. Instead, push your ability to produce the best events you can, learn from it, and then do better. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's definitely reason to take other happenings in your small city or neighborhood into consideration. Um, for example, you don't want to you want to try not to oversaturate your own market. But that being said, uh, competition isn't always bad. If there are successful competitors out there, that means that they've already sort of proven your business model, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, they've proven that the audience is there. And so, you know, I like to think instead of how can I compete with that, it's, you know, how can I do that better or how can I spin that? Take what I'm learning from them and do something with it rather than, oh, I'll never be able to compete with that. I mean, you're, you're going to run into competition, and it's like you said, it's whether it's healthy or destructive is completely up to you. Yeah. I've seen promoters get into physical altercations over having events on the same night. Mm. We've been through many phases here in Milwaukee, and so much depends on the popularity of the music. Obviously, the more popular it is, the more people are going to do events. And hopefully, with it being more popular, there's more of a market, so there's more to go around. 
and therefore competition is less threatening. But when people feel threatened when there's competition, it can become destructive when there's a lot of events going on and people feel like this is going to really negatively impact my event. What the challenge is in this tip is to not focus on that. Even if someone's event could negatively impact your event, we have no control over what they chose to do. What you can control is the standard of your event and what you put into that. So if a competitor is being negative and intentionally whatever, doesn't matter. But if someone, like you said, is setting a standard or showing that there is a successful way to do things, we can learn from that for sure. I also think that with competition, there was this whole culture for a little while, at least in Milwaukee, of, oh, we shouldn't compete with each other. We should all work together. What we all need to do is come together and do events together and communicate. And for me, I've come to look at that a little like communism. (laughs) In theory, it's a great idea, but it doesn't work in practice. When you try and get 20 promoters around a table and say, hey, let's all work on this event equally, and we only have bar hours from 10 till 2 and 7 days in the week, and and everyone wants to have certain DJs play, and you've got four hours. It just doesn't work. You always end up with a couple of people who are going to put in most time, most effort, most dedication. People are not going to all work together. And we have to accept that. I think it's, it's great to have lots of people wanting to do events. That's great. It's promoting music in itself. The more people that are out there going, say, going, hey, listen to this, and come to this, and dance to this, the more we're letting people know about this music culture. That is that is a positive. One last thing, I will go back to looking at other businesses, the analogy of lawyers or doctors. You do not see them saying, hey, there's way too many of us lawyers. What we all need to do is come together and work together and communicate about everything we're doing. It, it doesn't work. Right. For me, I... I may be in a different boat than some promoters, like I dream of having a legitimate music industry to work in, a professional one that is is healthy and generates more music industry. Um, So I do tend to look at other areas of business and draw analogies and comparisons, but I think in any um, market it's unrealistic to say, hey, we should all come together and there should only be so many of us doing anything at any one time. Yeah, it sounds great on paper. Right. (laughs) Yeah, it's, you know, one of those things where it's perfectly fine to have various hands in the basket, and it's more about not trying not to step on other people's toes. It's not about you have to do everything together always. I mean, one of the nice things about having a small music scene with a lot of different people trying to build it up is that you you have a lot of diversity. You have different views on how things should happen. You have different tastes in music and different things. And if one elite group has a monopoly on that, you're not going to have that diversity that maybe your audience demands. Absolutely. And again, it's that opportunity to learn, too. The more diversity you have, the more people you have doing things. If you open your your eyes and your awareness to what other people are doing, you can invariably learn something from it, even if it's different from what you do. There's, there's something to be, be gained. Yeah, I, you, you can compare that to another situation where we had another kind of well-known local. This wasn't all that long ago. 
and he was he planned some kind of outdoor event on the same night as another event that was already planned, and I don't really know the details, but this guy actually showed up at the other competing event and went off on the promoter, and then, uh, for whatever reason, the music stopped or got quiet or there was a breakdown or something like that, and then his voice was really loud <laughs> in front of everybody. And so he took that as an opportunity to turn around and just start firing off accusations and insults at everybody that was there. Oh, my God. And, I mean, it's a perfect example. I mean, his his crowd just disappeared. I mean, he he's hardly doing anything now. Right. And it's like just because, you know, he he was a hothead about it and had to go and, and make – go make a big scene about it whereas he could have just shrugged it off and then done another event another time and been fine you know it's it's all about how you handle yourself and how you present yourself you're not going to nail it every time and there's going to be conflicts you know conflicting events all the time that's just the way it works yeah absolutely wow yeah that's quite an example i just i couldn't believe you know i, I can't personally imagine doing that just going leaving my event going somewhere and throwing a fit it just seems ridiculous but that's that's the way it's it's that whole ego thing it's get over it <laughs> I think also lack of um that ego thing and and fear you know like think if you're really um it all comes down to thinking your event isn't going to do well if you're good at what you do and if you're prepared and if you've thought your event through and you've done everything to the best of your ability, you're maybe not going to have such a, a reaction where you feel so threatened by someone else's event that it makes you so angry. Right. So that ties back into this tip, which is that if you are pushing your ability to produce the best events you can, you shouldn't feel that... You will, you'll feel less of that anger or hostility or threat from other people's events if you're, if you're pushing yourself. If you then continue to build on that, you're kind of setting this goal a little bit to be, be really good. Be really good at what you do. And then if you're really good at what you do and someone else is throwing events too, well then you're kind of setting the standard and you're setting the bar and you shouldn't have too much to worry about because if you're really good at what you do, whatever someone else is doing shouldn't affect you too badly. Even if it does end up with a, with a slower event or a quiet event one night, if you're doing the best you can and learning and um, really holding yourself accountable for your shows instead of worrying about other people's, you'll do well. That, that's what it boils down to for me. Yeah, music scene capitalism. <laughs> yeah, kind of, but, but with integrity. Right, right. <laughs> Okay, and so on to number 28. When booking regional and local DJs ask about their upcoming gigs, if they are playing the following week at the same venue for another promoter, it's probably best to leave space. But don't expect local artists to mention this. Everyone wants to play a lot. Make it your responsibility to ask and make informed decisions. Yeah, just because we push the idea of, you know, carefully selecting your gigs or you know gig curation if you wish it doesn't mean that it's the norm i mean most people will take as many gigs as you throw at them right and you know as promoters let's not be part of the problem <laughs> right and um, this came from i'm sorry go ahead no go ahead you're fine i was just gonna say 
this this has been something I've been trying to hold myself accountable for more recently because with there being more electronic music promoters in Milwaukee, local DJs are playing a lot more. And of course, as a DJ, you want to put your name out there. You're promoting yourself. There's that certain level of the more people see your name, the more successful it shows you are, and the more people will want to book you. So we should expect that from local DJs. But I had a, an adjustment period where I wasn't used to local DJs playing for other promoters because for a couple of years there really weren't many other promoters. So I was pretty on top of what people were doing. Now during the last year, year and a half, I was booking people and then saying, but they're playing next week or they just played last week or right. had two gigs coming up on either side of the date I booked them. Why didn't they tell me? Well, why should they tell me? Why should they even think of that? As a DJ, you maybe don't even think of that when you're just opening and not headlining. So I had to hold myself accountable and say, if it's important to me, I better make sure that I'm asking that question instead of expecting them to tell me and then wondering why they didn't. Okay, great. So number 29 is ATIP. What does ATIP stand for? Okay, ATIP. Um small-time promoter tips. This is like a A tip plus A. Avoid taking it personally is what it stands for. Um, you've made venues successful, launched a hundred glittering DJ careers, and single-handedly kept music alive. Unless under contract, no one owes you anything. Owners, artists, and audiences will take fresh opportunities. A tip, avoid taking it personally. And rather than waste energy worrying about someone else's decisions, invest it in success by focusing on the quality of your own. Yeah, it's kind of funny that almost works in with what we were just talking about. I mean, well, on the uh, the competition thing. I mean, focus on doing what you do and and doing it better and doing it to the best of your ability. Don't worry about how other people handle it right. or, you know, the problems they run into. And then number 30, we're on our final tip. Tip number 30 is about Facebook, and it says, Facebook is a promoter's blessing and a curse. Use it carefully. Learn about Facebook's al algorithms. Read some articles on effective marketing strategies using Facebook. Even if they do not apply directly to your needs, they will give some useful insights that you can adapt. And do not make Facebook your only source of outreach. Yeah. Yeah, this is, this is key. I mean, in... You know, we keep going to business analogies. So it's in in the especially in it, internet marketing, there's this idea of be everywhere. And if you're building a fan base, whether it's as a DJ, producer, promotions company, you know, it's important to realize that fans exist in different places. It's not just Facebook. I mean, you've got Twitter, SoundCloud, MixCloud, YouTube, Instagram, your own mailing list. I mean, there's a number of ways that you can reach your fans. I'm glad you bring this up because this is something I plan on giving a lot more attention to in the future on the blog and the podcast. Yeah, it's um, it, it is like you said, but it, it's a broad area: social networking, marketing. There's a lot that could be said about it, but a big thing basically is saturation. You know, with Facebook, there's so much saturation. It's ironic, yeah. but I don't check my event invites. For the number of event invites I probably send out, I don't check my event invites. It's saturated. I probably get 30 a day. Yeah, it's noise. So I don't, yeah, it's noise. Um, posts just about your events just 
becomes noise. It's not exciting. It's not enticing. It's not doesn't communicate the experience. But then again, being all wordy, people don't want to read that either. So it's really been invaluable for me to take the time to to look into the wealth of information that's on the internet and um, look into how how best to use social networking. Another thing that has been really eye-opening is the algorithms that Facebook uses. Like if you're going to use Facebook in promoting, which we all are for the most part, it's so important to know if you post a link, your post will show up less in news feeds. If you tag somebody, your post will show up less in news feeds. Facebook applies an algorithm which lessens the show up in newsfeed depending on how people react to those types of posts in the past from you. That's a bit wordy, but look it up. It's worth knowing because um, you lessen the visibility of your traffic and then you're just posting all this stuff endlessly that's a waste of, a waste of energy and time and, and space and resources. And not only look it up, but uh, keep up on it because it's it's ever changing. Just like Google search algorithms, I mean, it's you never know how you're going to get something to rank in Google because they're always making changes. And that's the same kind of thing with with Facebook. I mean, there it's an ever evolving system. Yeah, absolutely. A, a couple of other points with it: RSVPs for events. I would say. A great place to be is where you have less RSVPs than people who are attending. Right. The, the only good thing about RSVP figures for me is that if people see a lot of RSVPs, it, they think it's going to be a great event. That's kind of shallow because it really doesn't play out that way, but that's the only right. problem. I mean, I've seen events in Milwaukee that have 250 people RSVP, and there was 50 people there the night of. It doesn't necessarily translate. For the majority of our events, I feel like we got in a really good place this summer where we had about between 30 to 50 people RSVPing for our weeklies, and on average we're doing sort of 75, 85 to 100. And that is the place to be, really. Don't put too much weight in your Facebook RSVPs. Don't spam people with invites. Try and focus that um, marketing to your local people. You can create a drop-down list that says, for me, Milwaukee and surrounding areas. Those are the only people I invite unless um, it's a huge special event. Things like that. The other thing is that has been very important for me and what really brought it home was Facebook changing how many people we could invite as promoters and then cutting off the ability to invite people to events. That happened maybe six months ago. If you weren't hitting within a certain percentile of people responding, RSVPing to your events, you suddenly found that you couldn't actually invite anyone to your events anymore. Mm. Which brought home, what if Facebook decided they didn't want you to promote events anymore without charging you? If they built in some sort of charge? Or what if they decided that they weren't going to promote events at all anymore? Period. They have that power, they have that, that right, and we can all get as up in arms as we want about charges or their algorithms or how they do things, but have other avenues. Like you said, the be everywhere. Have other online avenues. Use the rest of your social network. Keep your face-to-face -face contact active. Have a website if you can. Um, those kind of things are really 
Facebook's a trip. Yeah, and, you know, even it, it comes back around to the whole idea of um, word of mouth is key. Um, and that that doesn't just apply to literal word of mouth, like talking directly to somebody. That even spills over into the social networking world where RSVPs don't really mean anything. But if you have a lot of people on your feed that are in your network that are talking about this event because they're excited about it, right. not just saying support my buddy's event or anything like that it's you know when they see people buzzing about you know i'm going to go to this thing and it's going to be so awesome or whatever that says a lot right there it's like being in you know standing in a room and overhearing a bunch of people talk about your event if you're doing it right and you're and you've got that word of mouth thing going then that's kind of also going to spill over into the social media world absolutely um uh, speaking of the internet and social media, where are the best places we can connect with you and Apart Music? Well, I try to be everywhere, so I could probably give you a lot of links. Um, but the major ones would be on the website, which is apart-music.com. Okay. And there's, it's actually a pretty um, in-depth site. So there's all sorts of things on there as well as ways to connect to me. Um, the podcast, information about our DJs, upcoming events. We do something called Spotlight on Artists that we have coming up, which is where we interview them and post a mix and bios. We have um, information about local people in the scene who are doing things. So there's lots of good stuff on there. Yeah, it's a great website. Thank you. Glad you like it. Um, We have a couple of Facebook pages the um, business page is facebook.com slash standapart. So that would probably be the main one. And then we're on Twitter also, which is... I think it's apart underscore music. I wrote it down here on my notes. Right. That's the handle, yeah. So we've got... So at apart underscore music and then facebook.com forward slash standapart. Um, your website is apart-music.com. What about for people wanting to learn more about Fortune, the DJ? My DJ page is facebook.com slash justfortune. And then um, my Twitter is... I'm not it's like DJ Fortune. Yeah. Yeah, you probably got stuck in, the, stuck in the same place as me with the passionate DJ... I, I passionate DJ was already taken on Twitter, so I had to get DJ with passion. <laughs> so exactly. That's one of those unfortunate things you run into, but absolutely. Um, so I will put those links as well as any other social links or anything that you want in the show notes as well. Great. Thank you so much, Jessica, for the great tips. Um, I'm sure our listeners just have so much to think about now. We got. 30 different tips, a lot of different ideas and concepts, which I hope will inspire and encourage them all to go about their promoting with a sense of passion and purpose. And before you go, I was wondering if you had maybe a final tip, or if not, if you had a favorite quote that you could share with us to kind of wrap things up. You know, I do have a favorite quote. It is a little lengthy. That's okay. Um, but it does, it's, it's on a fairly personal note, but I really think I reflect a lot of personal values into what I do so here it is I'll read it for you our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure it is our light not our darkness that most frightens us we ask ourselves 
Who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Jessica, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing your bits of wisdom with us today, that amazing quote, and for having this back and forth with me, even though you're feeling a little under the weather. really appreciate you being a trooper with us today. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure to be able to share this stuff, and I appreciate you putting it out there. Absolutely, and best of luck to you and your endeavors, and I hope that you won't be a stranger to us here in the Passionate DJ community. Absolutely, and we are sharing uh, Passionate DJ info via the Apart Network also. We really appreciate what you're doing, too. It looks great. Awesome. Thank you so much. Go get some rest. Take care. All right, bye. Bye-bye. Wow, how great is she for just sticking it out with us even though she wasn't feeling well and just giving us all that that great information. Um, really enjoyed my time that I spent speaking with Jessica, and I really hope that you guys check her out and her uh, promotions company. Um, she really knows her stuff, and I'm so glad that she was able to share it with all of us. And by the way, if you visit the show notes for this episode, I'm providing all 30 tips that we talked about in episodes 3 and 4 um, as a PDF file that you can download. Uh, Jessica has graciously allowed us to share that, so thank you so much to her. And we will see you all soon for episode 5. Thanks for listening to the Passionate DJ Podcast at www.passionatedj.com. Check out the fan page at facebook.com slash passionatedj or on Twitter at DJ With Passion. And always remember to keep on spinning.